There is a difference between loneliness and solitude. Loneliness is a curse. It's something that we suffer when we have to endure it. But solitude is a blessing. Solitude is golden. It is restorative. During this time where we are in the midst of a pandemic and we have to be apart from other people so much more than we would like to be, we are, of course, experiencing a lot of loneliness. We have tools that help connect us in many ways, and I'm so grateful that we do have those tools. But even so, it's not the same thing as physically being together with the people that we love, with our communities, even with strangers out and about. And tragically, you would think maybe we would have more time to be still and experience the goodness of solitude, but what I feel like I'm seeing around, and certainly many people I know are experiencing, is that the pace of life, if anything, has become more frantic. That people are more plugged in than they even were. Uh, that everything is turned on all the time. That opportunity to slow down, to be still, to be restored, to bask in solitude is not taking place for many. A friend of mine is a pastor of a congregational church in Vermont, and he took a little time to be away. He got out into the wilderness for a few days. He was describing the experience to me recently. He said, you know, sitting beside still water, it's all it's cracked up to be. It's restorative, it's generous, it's reflective. It prepares you to go back out into your life, into the world. The truth is, when you are in solitude, you are not alone because you are with yourself and you are with God. The story that we hear today from the Gospel of Matthew begins with Jesus withdrawing to be alone. This is something that he did frequently. We hear about the crowds. There are so many people, and soon in the story we learn there are thousands of people, and it's a chaotic scene. And Jesus goes off to be by himself in solitude for a while, to be with God. And then he returns right back into the chaos, and the disciples, they don't do that. They're still in the midst of everything in the frantic pace of life. And Jesus when he returns, the first thing we hear is his compassion for the people, and he teaches and he cures, but then it's starting to get late, and the disciples start to get fearful, and they say, we need to send the people out into the town so that they can get something to eat on their own. But Jesus corrects them, and he points out that there is enough. And he tells the disciples these words that you can imagine would be shocking for them to hear, he says, you give them something to eat. Well, all they have are a few fish and a few loaves of bread and baskets. Interestingly, for Jewish people at that time, they would carry baskets as a way to honor what they needed to for the code of the law, to keep kosher, to keep their food separate. And so this was a very Jewish thing to have food and baskets. And the fish, I've always pictured the fish as being fresh fish. But more recently, I've learned that during that time, it was common to eat bread with smoked fish 
or possibly pickled fish, which makes sense. It was prepared so that it would keep longer. So as you're picturing what the, was really happening at that time, that is the kind of fish that they had. And with just a little bit, Jesus says, there will be enough for these thousands of people. And the disciples probably didn't understand, but they trusted him and they watched as he held the food in his hands, as he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and then he distributed it. He gave it to the disciples and they gave it to the people and there was enough. Interestingly, in the art of the early Christian church, the symbol for Eucharist was loaves and fishes. You can't mistake the pattern. Jesus takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it. It's the same as what he will do at that table with his friends at the Last Supper. And then the final detail that we notice is there is so much left over. There are 12 baskets full. To me, that means the 12 apostles have their work ahead of them. The baskets full of nourishing food for them to distribute and to share with a world that is hungry for it. So this gospel passage points not just to Jesus, but to them and to us. Now the reading from Genesis that we get today is a very different reading in so many ways, but it also begins with Jacob going to a place where he is alone. Now, the last time Jacob was all alone, he found the place called Bethel, the place of God, which is where he experienced Jacob's ladder and the angels ascending and descending. But here it's a little bit of a different time. And what has led up to this scene, if you followed the story, Jacob really was a rascal right from the beginning. He was scheming and cheating people left and right. And it all began right at his birth with his brother Esau. And notoriously, he stole Esau's birthright, and he knew that Esau was coming to see him, and they were going to see each other for the first time in a long time. And he learned that Esau was coming with 400 men. So Jacob is fearing for his life. He's a little bit panicked. He's got a new scheme going. In the very beginning of what we hear, we know that he's sending off all of his possessions and his family, his two wives, you heard that right, and his 11 children. The two wives we could talk about, but that's for another sermon on another day. But here they are now over the stream and Jacob is alone. And fascinatingly, somebody comes into his presence and there's no detail given. The word is ish, which usually is translated as man, but it doesn't have to mean human being. It could be a deity or divine being, and Jacob encounters this Ish who comes. And we don't know anything about that person except that Jacob and the person begin to wrestle. And they wrestle through the night, and neither of them is able to prevail over the other. But this mysterious being injures Jacob, wounds his hip. And then Jacob demands that he get a blessing. Before he gets a blessing, he gets a new name for a new life. And the name is the one who wrestles with God, which is Israel. But then Jacob does receive his blessing. And the final part that we get to read about in this story today is the sun coming up. 
It's a new day for Jacob. He has a new name, a new limb, and a new blessing upon his life. This time that we are living through right now, it's a historic time. And it's a time that is going to change us all. It is going to change a lot about the world in which we live. There will be some things that weren't really working before that will come to an end. Some things will be broken. Some of us in some ways will feel that we are experiencing being broken. But just as I've said the very first Sunday of this time, my prayer is that we will not merely be broken, but be broken open. That we may be like Jacob, like that bread which nourishes the world, broken and blessed. In God's name, amen.